Well, good morning. You know, the thought occurred to me, um, I was sitting there this morning um, looking at the slides and listening to the announcements that if you've not planned on going anywhere on vacation this summer, um, perhaps planned what they call a staycation, um, we've given you everything you need here at St. John's, um, a beautiful beach scene on Sunday mornings with the palm trees blowing. Um, I've noticed that's a common theme throughout our slides, if you haven't noticed. Um, and it's funny because when we were talking about it, and we always talk about, you know, what's the, what's the graphic going to be? And I just kept going back to palm trees. I said, we need to have palm trees, lots of palm trees. Palm trees have nothing to do necessarily with the Psalms. But summer in the Psalms feels like we should be on a beach with palm trees. Um, and a great barbecue to come and, and share a time together informally um, in fellowship. And, I, you know, I want to say something about that. Um, Tina didn't tell me I had to do this. This isn't, this isn't coming from her. But um, please plan on being here. If you're not away, plan on coming on the 27th to our uh, barbecue. Because um, I've known in my time getting to know some of you that we've had a lot of new families um, come into our church and, and through our doors in the last several months. And it's a great opportunity for us to get to know you and, and just spend some time uh, talking informally. And we're going to have great food. We're going to have lots of things to do outside. So uh, please make it a point if you're going to be around to put that on your schedule for this summer. Um, and of course, in addition to that, um, we're going to be spending the summer in the Psalms. And it was about a year ago that Mike uh, gave the, the job, to, the task, I should say, to Eddie and I to come up with some new series ideas. And um, I remember racking my brain for weeks, you know, trying to be original and trying to, you know, come up with something that would be really out of the box. And, um, and I wasn't doing a very good job at that. <laughs> so... I wound up finding this series that another church had done that was called Summer in the Psalms. Um, and I thought, what a great opportunity for us to spend together as a church just focusing on the Psalms. Um, I know for myself personally, it's been a long time since we've really studied and, and dug into the Psalms to see what they have for us deeper than sometimes just reading them. Sometimes we use the Psalms a lot um, as, a, as a call to worship. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes, that that's kind of how some of them are designed um, liturgically for something like that. Um, and so we're going to dig into them this summer and the course of the next several weeks. And uh, we know that the Psalms are also referred to as uh, the Psalter. And it's a, a collection of prayers and songs. They come from a Greek word meaning sing. Okay. And so uh, the Hebrew title of the book is Telahim. Now, that's not the last Hebrew word that you're going to hear today. So I just want to put a disclaimer out there. I've never taken a course in Hebrew. So uh, don't take everything that I say pronunciation-wise to be um, exactly how it should be pronounced. But Telahim uh, is the name of the, the Hebrew book for hymns or praise songs. So that's where the Psalms come from. And the Psalms were written by many different authors over a period of many years until they were put together in a collection of five books. And so there are five books of Psalms, 150 altogether. The first book is a collection of David's prayers, um, referred to as laments. 
The second book is a second collection of David's prayers with some other authors sprinkled in. The third book is known as a book of crisis, uh, Psalms dealing with both personal and national crisis. Um, there are some passages that talk about doubts, about God's justice, questioning of God's commitment to the Davidic covenant. So it's a crisis-filled book of Psalms. Book four has uh, is the, the key topic or the idea of book four is the Lord reigns. It's kind of a turning point in the Psalms where um, we're, we're talking more about trusting in God for strength and refuge and uh, not as much on human kings and leaders. And then book five, the theme of book five is the return of the king, praising the Lord. Um, it's all about God's commitment was always there, unwavering faithfulness. Um, and David reigns, uh, David regains prominence as God's anointed king. And each book, just for a little fun fact, each book ends with a doxology. Uh, there are three examples they all sound very similar. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. And another example, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's uh, one that I know we've used a couple of times as uh, more of a call to worship. Now, when you're reading the Psalms, in the beginning of the Psalms, there's a, a, what we call a superscription that indicates the author or the purpose of that particular psalm. The first books, as I've said, were written uh, as prayers of David, and that's indicated by the end of Psalm 72, which is the end of the second book of Psalms, that specifically says, the prayers of David, son of Jesse, are ended. Other authors of Psalms, and I know you're going to recognize these names right away, just give you a couple examples. Um, Asaph. Everybody knows Asaph, right? <laughs> Asaph was one of David's choir masters. Uh, a lot of times you'll read um, Psalms to the choir master or for the choir master. The sons of Korah, who was a temple musician. And Moses is attributed to the writing of one of the Psalms, Psalm 90. But many of the Psalms don't have a specific author mentioned. There are psalms that were written as hymns, uh, songs that were meant to be congregational songs, and they're mostly about the character of God, uh, the divinity of God, uh, the evidence of God in creation and his faithfulness. And then, of course, as I said already, there are psalms that are meant to be liturgical, and they're written as a part of the worship experience. There are psalms that are written as laments, which are prayers for help. In contrast, probably we know more about the psalms that are written as praise or thanksgiving. Um, psalms that were written in praise to God for the way he delivered someone or people out of a specific situation. We're going to take a look over the course of the next several weeks um, 
at the Psalms, and we're, I kind of look at this more of a journey, a journey through the Psalms. It's a, a scriptural study that we hope and pray will be an opportunity for us as a church to examine or, in probably a lot of cases, re-examine the Psalms and how they relate to our lives, how they relate to our own worship. Uh, it's an awesome opportunity to, to make the Psalms personal and to, to, to bring them uh, into a better understanding of their original intention. It's a, it's a challenge for some of us, I believe, to express our gratitude or our concern or sometimes our anxiousness and our fear. Some find it challenging to know how to pray to God, how to articulate to God um, about just the things of everyday life. And the Psalms can be kind of a manual for how to express those thoughts in our prayers to God. And of course, the Psalms ultimately teach us about life and how we're expected to live as followers of Christ and the children of God. And so we begin today, day one, with Psalm 1. <laughs> no, we're not going to be preaching about all 150 Psalms. There's no possible way that we can cover all of them. Uh, but Psalm 1 and 2 were actually written more of as an introduction to the full collection of Psalms. And I, I like this Psalm as a beginning because it lays out for us uh, somewhat of a challenge for godly living versus worldly living. It works well as a series intro because it gives us the opportunity to evaluate where we are on our own personal journey and perhaps where we need to grow. And so let's begin by reading Psalm 1, starting with verse 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. And so Psalm 1 is about two journeys or two paths. And so I thought it might be interesting to study this psalm with the same, in, in, in the, the um, what's the word I'm looking for, in the, in, in the same vein that it was written, with the same theme. And so I want to take a look at two particular, two different translations of Psalm 1. So we're going to look at the NIV and we're going to look at the uh, New Revised Standard Version. I think sometimes when we study the scriptures, it's good to look at a couple of different translations so that we can get a better understanding of what it's talking about. Uh, for instance, in the NIV that we just read, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. Same verse in the NIRSV is happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. And so a person who is blessed 
is a person who is happy. <laughs> but deeper interpretation of this verse finds that, here we go again, the word blessed comes from the Hebrew esher. Esher, which defines contentment or happiness. And esher is a form of the word ashar, which means to be straight or to be right. And so just in that opening line, we get what it means to be blessed is not just meaning to be happy, but one who is right with God. And so to be right with God is to be seeking the righteousness of God in our own character and in our own lives. And so these two paths or journeys referenced here in the psalm is the way of righteousness and the way of the wicked. Now, further reading of this particular psalm clarifies the two words and what their paths might look like. Now, I don't mean to question anybody's intelligence here this morning. I think it's pretty obvious just by looking at the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked, there's a right way and a wrong way. So we could tie all that up, give the benediction, and call it a day. <laughs> but I think there's a little bit more to it than that. And that's kind of what I want to dig into today. Because by looking at these two paths, I feel like it gives us an opportunity to examine the specific path that we're taking in life and making sure that we're on the path that we want to be on and we're on the path that God wants us to be on. So Psalm 119 says that God's, work is, God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. It's referencing when uh, the, the Israelites were guided by a pillar of fire at night that protected them from the Egyptians. It's a light for when we find ourselves in dark places. We live in a confusing culture that pulls us in many different directions, trying to sell us quick fixes or uh, simple solutions. And so we need the word to keep us on the right path. The Psalms become a great bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's a lot of Old Testament themes throughout the Psalm, but the overall message points to Jesus and the path that leads to him. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. NIRSV translates, who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers. There's a lot there. Let's start by reminding ourselves from Romans 3.23, all of us have sinned and all of us fall short of the glory of God. We are not called to judge the sins of the world, but to make certain that we are not falling in line with the sins of the world. We mess up, we make bad choices, and we sin. But in the midst of our personal struggles, we should not be choosing a life of sin, but striving to eliminate sin 
from our life. We should be striving to make better choices and do the things that set us on a path that is unlike that of sinners. I'm going to throw a third translation in the mix here from the New King James. Walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. The world is not short on advice. We need to guard our hearts against the counsel of those who will take us down a path that perhaps we never intended on following. In these translations, we find all of this said three different ways. In the seat of the scornful, in the company of mockers, and in the seat of scoffers. Now, by definition, a scoffer is someone who makes fun of or mocks someone who practices their religion. And I want to take this one step further, brothers and sisters, this morning. I want to say that we as Christians, as believers, should not find ourselves mocking the way others might believe differently than we do. I don't think, I think it's good to have healthy conversation about the religions of the world and the different ways that people believe. I think it's healthy to have um, good debate sometimes with those who believe differently. But it doesn't do any good for the word of God or for us as believers if we find ourselves mocking others for the way that they might believe. So we find the alternative in the next verse. Those who delight in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Blessed or happy is the man who doesn't do the things we read about in the first part of the verse, but does delight in the word of God. As I was thinking about this particular portion of the psalm, I was reflecting on my own life, and I find myself more times than not, in amazement for where I am today in life. And the amazement comes from evaluating my life up to now and seeing the times in my life when I was more lost than I realized. But I thought I had it all together. And yet I went months without digging into God's Word. Sure, I did Bible study. I, I read, you know, books by Christian authors. But spending time just digging into the scriptures for what it has for me today. The, the, the light and the life that that has brought to my life since getting back into the word. That's what the delight in the word of God is talking about here. Now, I, I don't think we can talk about digging into the scriptures without mentioning the elephant in the room. There are a ton of translations of Scripture, but there's also a ton of different ways that people interpret the Scripture. And so it can be confusing for us. How do we know who to listen to or, or what to believe? How do we know our interpretation of the Scripture is the best one or the right one, I should say? Well, Max Licato says the first step in understanding the Bible is asking God to help you with that understanding. You should read it prayerfully. If anyone understands God's word, it's because of God, not the reader. 
John 14, 26 says, The advocates, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And so when you're confused or you're struggling with what to believe and who to talk to, pray for guidance. Before you determine how you're interpreting God's word, make sure that what you're reading and what you're hearing and what you're bringing in is coming from him. And that brings us to that word that we hear so much and we throw it around a lot. We need to pray for discernment. Discernment is when God guides you through scripture for understanding. Discernment is the ability to understand the context of scripture and its relevancy. Discernment is understanding what God wants for us through his word. The psalmist says, when we nourish our hearts and minds with the word of God, we are like the tree that's planted by a water source. The water provides for the tree, therefore the tree is able to produce fruit. The tree is healthy because of its place by the water source. Jeremiah makes reference to Psalm 1 in uh, chapter 17. And in this particular chapter, prior to this particular verse, he's making a, a correlation between the shrub that puts its trust in man and the tree that puts its trust in the Lord. And so Jeremiah says, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. This is a picture of a person who's rooted in the word of God. Now, this is not to say that, you know, everything is coming up roses for the, the Sunday worshiping, Bible reading, down on your knees, praying man or woman. But notice, when the heat comes, when those things come that can tear us down, the tree doesn't fear because it's close to the source. It's rooted in the source. When the season becomes dry, the roots get their moisture. And regardless of the external changes throughout the year, the tree bears its fruit in season because its source of nourishment is consistent. Jesus spoke a very familiar verse in John chapter 15 about us bearing fruit. And he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, I'm not going to test you, but I, I spoke on this a long, long time ago. And if you remember, I shared with you my experience visiting uh, Bill Heritage at Hill Heritage Winery and Vineyard. And I purposefully, when I was digging this scripture apart, I went to learn more about how that works, how the vines and the branches work. I'm not going to repeat all of it because I'm sure all of you remember everything that I said about that. Um, but when we stay connected to Jesus as the source of all we need, we bear much fruit. We demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit in our lives, and our work is not in vain if it's done for the glory of Him, for the glory of the Lord, 
and with recognition for his place in our lives and the source of our blessings. But there's a contrasting scene in this psalm. When we look at the chaff that the wind blows away in an instant, the chaff is basically uh, the hard covering or the shell that goes around the seed, and, and ultimately it gets separated from the seed. It's worthless. The chaff is worthless. It's dead. It's without necessity. It's a, a shell that has a temporary purpose and a temporary existence. So Psalm 1 is about two journeys with two completely different outcomes. And the final verse of the psalm refers to two different people, the wicked and the righteous. And so as believers, we're on a pursuit of righteousness. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, you've heard this, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Righteousness is the pursuit of the believer. What we are doing right now is pursuing righteousness. When we open God's word uh, to, to help us uh, follow his will for our lives, we are pursuing righteousness. And if we jump ahead several Psalms to Psalm 89, we read that righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, Lord. They rejoice in your name all day long. They celebrate your righteousness. The very foundation of the triune God that we worship is righteousness. And he, through his love and faithfulness, wants to be in relationship with us. Now, I haven't forgotten that there's another word in there, justice. It says righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. Justice for the believer comes through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And Paul talks about this in, in Romans. I've alluded to the scripture already this morning when he says, but now... Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. And hear this verse. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left that sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. I don't want anybody to leave here this morning and say, yeah, but what is righteousness? Because it's right there in, in verse 22. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So Psalm 1 ends with 
The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is kind of a difficult verse to unpack. The, the ungodly or the wicked don't stand in judgment because there's nothing to judge. It goes back to when, when we talk about our place as believers, our place is not to judge. A person whose life is not rooted in the word doesn't know what the word says, doesn't know any better. But we as believers are rooted in the word. And so we're called to action. We're challenged to bring the word to life in our lives and reflect the righteousness of God. Uh, when it talks about this, you know, not standing in the way of judgment, again, that can be confusing. There's a great story that some of you might remember from the book of Daniel, where God gave the king, King Belshazzar, a message on the wall, and he couldn't figure out what it meant. And so he asked Daniel to interpret it. <laughs> and I love it. Daniel says, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. <laughs> Ouch. King Belshazzar was told that he was wanting. He didn't want to hear that. He didn't get that. He didn't believe that. But the reality of it is that Belshazzar's kingdom was suffering because they lacked spiritual and moral values. There is no spiritual weight to those who live outside of the word. But God promises to watch over those who seek righteousness. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I think sometimes it's easy, sorry, sometimes it's hard for us to connect with what it means to be hungry and thirsty. But Jesus's audience at the time understood what it meant to be hungry and understood what it meant to be thirsty. So he was giving them something that they could, they could connect with. What does it truly mean to be hungry for righteousness? Well, we're called to be seeking righteousness by nature. We're called to recognize our need for forgiveness so that our sinfulness can be replaced with holiness. And so we're called to be hungry for God's righteousness in our lives and desperate to see that righteousness in the world around us. What that light looks like in our lives causes us to change our thinking from thirsting and hungering for you fill in the blank. It causes us to think about the things that we might pursue daily that take our hunger and thirst away from righteousness. So the question that we're challenged with this morning is we have to ask ourselves, are we seeking God's righteousness or are we seeking self-righteousness? Jesus says, when we pursue righteousness, you will be filled. When you hunger and thirst for something, you fill yourself with what it is that will make you feel full. Jesus says, when you're hungry for righteousness, when you hunger for righteousness, that you will be filled. And it's a fullness that satisfies on a level that keeps you wanting more. 
A life in pursuit of what God desires for us is a life that is full, but always wanting more. More of Him. More of His Word. More of this time spent together. The world is a challenging place. I've had many conversations with people lately who have suffered or are suffering for many different reasons. There's changes in our work environments. There's changes in education. There's changes in the economy. There's changes, big changes in the morale of our country. A division, a divide that seems to get deeper and deeper all the time. And if we're not careful as believers, we can get caught up in what this change may lead to or what may change next. Change can bring anxiousness and fear and cause us to question God's ability to provide for us and bring us through challenging times. There's psalms that are all about that. We're going to see psalms over the course of the summer that, that are questioning God's, uh, God being in any of it. Where, where are you, Lord? You've turned your back. But there's also psalms that celebrate his unwavering faithfulness to fill us when we take our eyes off of the things that we can't control and seek him and, and being right with him and allowing him to do a work in us. I want to share with you one more thing that Jesus said in the book of Matthew. He said, do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added, or some interpretations will say, given to you. And so as we begin this series in the book of Psalms, what do you hope to take from the Psalms this summer? What are you seeking in your life and in your journey? What is it that you're hungering and thirsting for? Psalm 1 offers the path of righteousness laid out by our Heavenly Father and solidified by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I pray this morning that that is the journey that you are on. But I want you to know if that is all new to you, it doesn't make sense to you, or it's a place that you want to explore, I want to encourage you to reach out to, the, to myself or Mike. Talk to me after worship today. We want to talk to you about this pursuit and this journey that we're on. We want this to be a place that we can go to together and seek his righteousness, be in pursuit of his righteousness in all that we do in our lives. Let's pray together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the word that you've given us to pierce our hearts. As old as the words of Scripture might be, they speak to us today in ways that we might not understand. 
And Lord, I pray for those today who are here who have, have maybe been in that dry place, who've spent weeks or months or even years without looking at your word. Lord, I pray that this would be an opportunity to change that, to get back rooted in your word and, and rooted in this pursuit of righteousness that your word talks about. Father, challenge us in this series to seek your face, not just for, for who we are as individuals, but perhaps who we are as a body of believers, who we are as a community of faith, who, who individual families are. Let us seek you for every aspect of our lives. So in, in those moments of question, in those moments of despair, in those moments of anxiousness, we can trust we can trust, Lord God, that your faithfulness and your guidance and your word is unwavering and that you're with us every step of the way. And I pray, Lord, that if there be anybody here this morning that has any question about that, that they would be willing to, to, to ask the right people and ask the right questions and begin their journey seeking your will and your word in their life. We ask these things in Jesus' name.